one story about hypocrisy that that I've always enjoyed. It's a uh, it's a story about a guy. He had a has a brother who had a pet snake. Now anybody has a pet snake? Yeah, that is weird. And so he's got this pet snake, and the snake's name was Slinky. And uh, Slinky was a you know, pretty mild snake, but the, the owner was getting ready to go out of town. So he asked his brother, he said, I'd like for you to take care of my snake while I'm gone. His brother thought, I mean, how hard is it to take care of a snake? I mean, you don't take him out for like a walk or, you know, anything like that. And he's like, yeah, he said, what do I got to do? He said, the only thing you have to do is one time you'll have to go to the pet store and buy some live mice, feed them to the snake, and that's it. And he said, then you're done. He's like, I can handle that, no big deal. I don't really have a problem with mice getting eaten by snakes. And so he said, you know, everything's going well. Went to the went to the pet store, bought the the mice, and he said he wasn't bothered until the guy put the uh, at the mall put the live mice, these little tiny white mice, into a box. He said he was walking out of the pet store, walking through the mall. He said, I looked down and I saw on the box. He said it said on all four sides, "Thank you for giving me a home." And he said, it was then I looked at it and thought, oh, man, I feel like a heel. And he said, so that for him, that was an example of hypocrisy. Now, uh, again, uh, there's many of us who, who don't, most of us really don't like hypocrisy. And we don't like it when people say one thing and they, they do another. And I don't know about you all, but you're probably like me in that you're really good at pointing out hypocrisy in other people. Y'all, I've got a hypocrisy radar I can look at people and they walk by and say, that guy's the biggest hypocrite I've ever seen. I'm sitting there thinking all this stuff. I don't do well when people point out hypocrisy, like for my wife, who will point it out in my own life. And then I'll say, you obviously don't know what you're talking about. And so uh, I, I struggle with that. I'm good at pointing it out in others, but I'm not so good at, at really looking at it in my own life. And the fact of the matter is, we struggle, most of us struggle time and time again with saying one thing, but living, you know, in a different kind of way. And so in our text today, as we're kind of moving towards this text rather quickly here, Paul points out to us the importance of purity in our lives. That is a calling that God has for believers is that we're not just to talk about our faith. We're not just to talk about you know, how important Jesus is. We're not just to talk about how important it is to be pure. We are actually to be pure. You know, we're to have purity in our lives. And so we're going to see this in Ephesians chapter 5 in verse number 1 in just a few moments. Uh, in the earlier part of the book of, of Ephesians, Paul tells us that we are to walk lives that are worthy of God. He says our lives are to be marked with, with kindness and forgiveness. It doesn't say our lives are to be marked with talking about it. Our lives are to be marked with actually doing it. So what areas of our lives does Paul point out for us today where we are to demonstrate purity? And it's just three, three real basic areas that pretty much you know, like covers all of our lives, which makes it a little scary. But he says this is where you're to have purity in your lives as believers. And this, is, this whole text, this whole area here, is, is convicting for me. And he, and he starts off by saying that we are to have purity in our actions. You know, the way we actually live our lives. Uh, look with me in, in chapter 5, verse 1. And Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God, 
But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you as is proper for the saints. Now, I have a couple little illustrations that can kind of point this out, and I'm sure you've all heard a couple of these sayings. One of the sayings is, actions speak louder than words. Okay, we know that one. Uh, one of my favorites, I don't know if you all are as familiar with this one as I am, uh, it's one my dad used to always say to me, he'd say, it's not what's, imp- what's, what's important is not what's in the window, it's what's in the warehouse. And so we, you know, we, we know through our, the wisdom of our parents anyway, is that our actions really do say a whole lot about us. The way you live, you know, speech, I mean, speech is, speech is important, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But the way you live your life, the way you act, is a great demonstration of who you really are. And our text starts off by telling us that we, in verse number one, we are to be imitators of God. The word imitator, it means, it's where we get the word to mimic. Paul tells us that we are to mimic God as dearly loved children. Does not say that we are to impersonate God. It says we are to mimic Him. Um, I can, uh, you know, I can mimic or I can impersonate some some people. Now I'm not necessarily I'm not, I'm not rich little or anything, but if I if I uh, impersonate some people, like for instance, who, who am I here? Uh, I am the governor of California. Right, who's that? Okay, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, so that's, uh, you know, now that is an example of me impersonating Schwarzenegger. Now, am I living, li- am I like him? Well, no. Now, I can kind of sound like him, but obviously look at me. I don't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't live like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, that's what many of us do when it comes to our faith. We want to sound like Jesus and talk about the things of God like we are impersonating him. But how many of us are actually mimicking him? And that means how many of us are actually living like Jesus? Well, how does Jesus live? He lived in purity. The Bible says that he he was so pure that he didn't have sin in his life. Hebrews 4.15 says, We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Now, can you think of a better example to, to follow than that? One who was sinless? Now, that's, that's impressive. And Paul says, as believers, we are to be pure in our actions as Christ is pure. Now, I, can't, I cannot be exactly like Jesus. Nobody can live a, a, that pure of a life. Now, we're to strive for it, but we can't do it because our lives have been marked by sin. But we can shoot to be like him, to mimic him. To live like him. And how so? How, how did Jesus live in a way that we could try to live like him? Well, if you look in verse number 2, it tells us that Jesus lived a selfless life. He gave himself as a sacrifice for us. Do you know, we can do that too. We can live lives where we begin to understand this life is not just about getting stuff for me. That this life has is, is been given to me by God. 
so that I might be able to live in such a way that I can serve and love and care for other people. I can capture the same kind of spirit that Christ has in that I am a selfless person. So you say, well, how how can I do that? And it begins with loving others. And I'm not talking about being weird. But, you know, like loving others to to where you look at them and you say, you know, I, I want to serve other people because I understand this life is not just about me. That God has given me this life in order to give a picture of him to other people. I mean, you look at Jesus. One thing that I notice about Jesus is that he set himself aside in order to reach out to people to heal the hurts. To be there for them when they were wounded, whenever they were hungry and thirsty, in order to fulfill that hunger and thirst. And the way that we can fulfill hunger and thirst that people have in this life is to point them to Jesus. Say, you know, there's only one who can change your life. There's only one who can transform you. You know, the greatest thing that we can do is to point people to Christ. And that's why we come together to look into Scripture. That's why we come together in our V group so that we can be a support to one another. And we can look into the Bible to see how it applies to our lives. That's why in our church we are very involved in community events so that we can let our community know we are a church that's not just here for us. We're here to serve the community. It's why... We have decided that we want to be a church that serves even outside of our communities while we go to, while we go to Haiti every year. So we go down there in order to, to work with chil- the children's home there. That we might share with those people, our lives are not just about us, it is about others. Now, why would we do that? Because we want to be pure in our actions as Christ is pure in His actions. First Timothy, or excuse me, First Peter 1.16, it says about God, it says, Be holy. Because I'm holy. So we're shooting for here. What does holy mean? Or holy means to, it means to be set apart. It means to be separated from the world. In other words, to live differently than the world does. Now, how does how does being holy? That's a that's that's a really that's a big word. It's a religious word. How does being holy play out? You know, in real life. You know what does what does that mean for us? Real simple. For one, it means to be selfless, to serve others. It means to keep yourself pure physically, to honor God in the way that we live, to trust God to take care of us. But we can only do that as we allow Christ to infiltrate our lives. Now, the unfortunate thing is there's many of us who claim to be followers of God, and yet if you look at our actions, oh, man, we're just all talk. And we're not about the walk. So what what does Paul have to say to us? He says, we've been called to purity in our actions. You know, that's convicting to me. And the way that I live, the way that this church conducts itself, is in purity. Purity in our actions. But we've also been called to have purity in our speech. Purity in your actions, purity in our speech. Now, in all honesty, out of the ones we're going through today, y'all, just being honest with you, this is where I struggle. I struggle in purity in my speech because I don't know if I, I would say God has gifted me with a, um, a smart mouth. And uh, there's been so many times when I was, I've been very quick to be able to pop off. And uh, I thought it was a gift. It is not a gift. It is a curse. And so this scripture, I mean, it just, this one gets me here. 
Uh, look with me in verses 4 and 5. It says, "...in coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks." For no one recognized this, no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, greedy person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. Y'all, speech is so important. Now, we know the phrase, um, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Okay, I've said this, but bull, that ain't true. Now, let me tell you this, speech is powerful. Words carry weight. And as believers, we better be careful about what comes out of our mouths. Because what comes out of our mouths gives a demonstration of who we are and to whom we belong. When we become followers of Jesus, Christ buys us. He purchases us, which means we belong to him. And that includes what comes out of our mouth. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit? Who's in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. God doesn't just have control over our eternities. Now, we all like that. We think that's really neat. I've become a follower of Jesus. i got a place in heaven for me. But God has control of your life right now. When he buys you, he owns you now. And so what comes out of your mouth is a direct correlation that demonstrates to whom you belong. So what do your words say about you? Well, words are important. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue is the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Yeah, we know this. You know, when somebody speaks a word of encouragement to you, when, they, when, when somebody comes up to you and just tells you about what a good job you've done, or your spouse comes to you and says, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you, isn't that neat? It, it really is. Now, we might try to hide it and act like, oh, well, thank you. And like, it's no big deal. I know, this is the way I always am. On the inside, we're just like, man, that is really, I wish more people would tell me that. Words are powerful. Bible tells us words are like honey, sweet to the soul. They're encouraging. But have you ever had somebody who's just come to you and just told you what a, what a moron you are? And how worthless you are? Now again, you can sit there and say, you know, words don't bother me. But deep down, if it's somebody that, especially if it's somebody you care about, who says words that are degrading to you, boy, it destroys your spirit. Words are damaging. That's why the Bible tells us that we need to have purity in our speech. The words that are to come out of our mouth are to only be words that encourage and build people up. And you go through the list that Paul talks about in the verses that we've read. It says, coarse and foolish talking... Crude joking, get rid of them. Those things are not suitable for believers. And you, know, you sit there and you think, man, there's so many times when you can say something that can tear somebody down. You can say something that's, that's sort of off color and we think, well, it's kind of funny. And it's kind of, it kind of makes people laugh. The Bible says those words are not suitable to come out of the mouths of believers. Crude joking, it's, it's talking about being able to take any subject and put a perverted twist on it. That's why the Bible says we are to be careful what comes out of our mouths. Because this is interesting. Did you know that the words that come out of your mouth are a demonstration of what's in your heart? And you know, that man, I see that and I think, oh, there's a lot of garbage that's in my heart. 
The Bible says, as Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. You want to know what's in your heart? Examine your speech. Is that convicting for you yet? It's convicting for me. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Your speech gives gives a demonstration of who you are and of whose you are. You don't know who you are? Look at your speech. What does your speech say about you? What does my speech say about me? That's why Paul tells us today, he said, you've been called to purity in your actions. You've been called to purity in your speech. And it's the last thing I want you to see. We've also been called to purity in our minds. To be pure in our thinking. Now look with me in the last two verses, verses 6 and 7. It says, let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For because of these things, God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. Therefore, do not become their partners. Now, in Paul's day, there were false teachers, false Christians who were saying... You are, you are, uh, you come into a relationship with God by the grace of God. You don't earn your way into God's good favor. We teach this here at Village Church. Nothing I can do to earn my way into God's good favor. Now, where they got in trouble is they said, because of that, because you can't earn your way into God's good favor, it means it doesn't matter how you live. You can do what you want to do because you are saved by the grace of God. Now, that sounds kind of attractive. It's like, hey, I can, I can have my cake and I can eat it too. There's a problem with that logically. And the logical problem with that is there's a reason why God tells us to stay away from sin. He doesn't say, well, just because you are now a follower of me, it doesn't matter how you live. Go practice sin all that you want. God doesn't tell us that because there's a couple reasons why. One, because sin destroys people. God doesn't want us to mess with sin Because it absolutely annihilates our heart. But there's there's another reason why. And the other reason why is because once we come into a relationship with God, we are to become more like Jesus. We are to live like him and act like him. Now, I know that sin is the the things of of this world that are outside the boundaries of God. I'm going to be real honest with you. And you might not have heard many preachers say this. No, I'm going to say sin... It's attractive. There's some stuff about sin you think, that's kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, because if, if it wasn't, we wouldn't worry about doing it, right? Yeah, I mean, if sin was, if we said, man, sin is really evil, and if you practice this, you know, your, your legs and arms are going to fall off. You know, we wouldn't do it. But whenever we practice it, there's sort of some kind of thrill that comes with it. So it's fun. But here's the deal. It's fun for a time. There are some things that look good on the outside, but on the inside they destroy. Now, one of the things that makes one thing I think about with this is I think of food. There's and it could be because it's close to lunch, but I didn't think about food. And food, there's some stuff. There's some food that looks good. You know, it tastes good. And if y'all notice, the stuff that's really good is not good for you, right? And so you think if I man, if I could just have like twelve more donuts then I would feel that that would be really good. Now, here's what I've learned. Um, I, and I, I have shared this before, but I'll, it, it makes sense. To, I'll share it again because it fits here. Um, I, my favorite dessert whenever we first got married were brownies. 
Emily and I got married. Nobody, y'all, my mother doesn't cook. She never cooked that much. My grandmother, my mom, my grandmother didn't cook. So I get married because I, I think I just make sandwiches and eat ramen noodles all the time. I never cared about food. I get married and then Emily starts cooking for me. And I'm like, well, this is pretty cool. I didn't know food tasted so good. And so our, the second day we were married, she made me a big pan of, of uh, brownies from scratch. And so I'm like, this is, I love brownies. And uh, so I was sitting there, and I was eating them, and I was eating them, and I was eating, in one sitting, I ate 16 brownies. And uh, the second day we'd been married, that night, I was bowing before the porcelain throne. And I was, I was sitting there, and I was like, God, take my life. I'm serious. Y'all, I wanted to die. And I was like, I've been married two days. That's enough. Just kill me now. Now, those brownies, they look good. They taste good. But man, you began to indulge yourself in a brownie. You begin to indulge yourself in the things that are outside of what God desires for us. It will destroy you. It will make you sick. And that is why Paul tells us, he says, there has to be purity in your mind. You see, if we go after the things of this world, we are shortchanging ourselves from what God wants us to have. A great example of this is Moses. Y'all remember who, you remember, do y'all remember who Moses' adoptive mom was? It was Pharaoh's daughter. At this time, Egypt is the superpower of the world. Moses had everything available to him. But by birth, he was a Hebrew. And here's what, here's what it says about Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. It says, By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Isn't that interesting? As he grew up, he said, I don't want to be identified with, with Pharaoh's family. Instead, it says, he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy, and this is key, the short-lived pleasures of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. When we use our minds and seek after that which is pure, we begin to understand the pleasures of this world. And Paul mentions them. The pleasures of this world, they are short-lived. But the pleasures of God... Or for an eternity. So what does the Bible say? Well, let's know purity is a calling that God has given his people. Now, folks, purity is an unusual idea these days. Sexual purity, it's antiquated, it's out of date, people think you're weird. Let me tell you something, if you are pure sexually... God will honor that. And the person you marry will be pleased with that. Purity in our speech. You might not get the cheap laugh, but if we have purity in our speech, you will have respect. These people will begin to understand that you value them. We have purity in our minds, the directions that we choose, the decisions that we make in life. So we have purity in our minds and our thinking. 
you will be directed by God who has the best intentions in mind for your life. Our world needs to see purity. And folks, they need to see purity in the church. They need to see purity from me. They need to see purity from you. You know, if, if somebody is offered a glass of dirty water, they don't really want it all that much. But what about pure water? Yeah. Church, we are to live our lives in purity so that we can offer ourselves as pure water to a world that is dying of thirst. And as we offer ourselves up to others, Jesus will be glorified. Where do we need to have purity? Our actions, our speech, our minds. Mm-hmm.